following lecture was produced by the Gnostic Academy of Chicago, a nonprofit organization, and is one of many available for podcast, download, and transcription. You can visit chicagonosis.org to find courses, articles, scriptures, commentaries, and other valuable resources that address a wide variety of spiritual subjects, interests, and needs. Through the generous support of listeners like you, the Gnostic Academy of Chicago has produced online courses, lectures, and articles freely available worldwide. If you have benefited from this knowledge, help humanity through making a tax-deductible donation at chicagonosis.org. If you are interested in attending the Gnostic Academy of Chicago in person, you may view our online class schedule and freely register at meetup.com slash chicagonosis. The Chicagoland Gnostic Academy provides humanity with the necessary means for transforming suffering and acquiring personal knowledge of the divine. With this purpose in mind, we now begin the lecture. May all beings be happy. Despite many practices we've given in this teaching, as well as this course, many people struggle to interpret their dreams. We spent some time discussing principles and teachings that help to understand what we experience when we dream. Despite these tools, and the efficacy of their depth, of their application. A lot of people still struggle with doubt. They struggle to really have certainty or confidence in what they dream. To verify that a particular vision is authentic, is real is divine. It is the purpose of this lecture to talk about meditation. To know how to meditate on dreams. If any of you have followed the course of this lecture or this series and have studied with our school as well as Glorian Publishing, you often hear that we should be practicing meditation very deeply. It is the core practice of the Gnostics. And meditation is essential for understanding our dreams. So we'll talk about how to meditate on our experiences. Some questions that we can ask ourselves when we inquire within in order to gain certainty in our perceptions. Every dream teaches us something deep. Something about our psychology is reflected within our inner experiences. And if we wish to live our waking life with greater knowledge, wisdom, and intelligence, we have to understand and reflect upon our dreams. 
As Swami Shivananda wrote in his book, The Philosophy of Dreams, a dream presents a demand to our waking consciousness. If rightly interpreted, it shows the way to be at peace with ourselves. Many people have a dream or experience and feel pain, uncertainty, doubt. They wonder what it is they have actually seen in themselves. They may try to find an answer in a dream dictionary, go into a book, approach a scripture, speak to an instructor or to friends, always seeking the external to understand that which is internal. And we are very explicit when we say that this is the wrong approach. A dream is highly personal to us. It is something intimate to the soul. Inner visions come from divinity and manifest within our dreams in a particular style that is specific to us. Those messages come within our interior in order to teach us something, not other people. Therefore, if we wish to really understand the language of dreams, we have to suspend and renounce everything that is external to us. We have to go within. We have to introspect so that we can rightly interpret what is going on. When we sit and relax, close our eyes, suspend our senses, withdraw our mind, concentrate internally, relax and imagine a dream we witnessed. And we put aside our attachments, our preferences, our cravings, our fears. It is only when we let go of that which is superficial and immediate in order to find that which is permanent and lasting comprehension. To comprehend, to understand, to intuit, to go deep within a dream and to unpack its meaning gives us peace, gives us certainty, gives us clarity. However, I'm pretty sure many of us can identify with having gone to other people looking for advice. And while necessary and good, it is not primary. And oftentimes it is a distraction to look for answers outside of us. Because that language from divinity comes from within. It is something that we have to learn. Just as you go to school to learn English or any language or any subject, you have to train. You have to strive. You get help, obviously, 
And in this metaphor, the instructor is the divine, the spirit, who is showing us a higher way of being, a deeper knowledge that we have to grapple with, that we have to look at. But that requires that we abandon our tendencies, habits, filters. We have to look at what is there and to understand who in us or what in us seeks answers. Certainty provides peace. When we understand a dream, when we contemplated it deeply within ourselves, we no longer have to worry. We don't divide our mind between options that maybe this dream means this or that. Or this book said that this symbol means this. We have to put that all aside. It's secondary. But divinity speaks to us in a way that is unique to our own soul. And in order to engage in that mystery and to enjoy the magic of dreams, we have to learn to be independent. To develop serenity. To not be anxious or worried. This is why when we are examining our dreams or in order to really reflect on what they mean, we have to study ourselves. We have here an image of the human machine. We see here five centers that we've discussed many times. Serenity is the prerequisite to comprehension. It is the beginning of meditation. It is not meditation itself. Meditation is the capacity of the soul to understand and interpret new information, the novel, the unique. However, we cannot comprehend anything when our mind is in chaos, when our heart is distraught, when our body is agitated and sick, when our impulses and instincts drive us relentlessly. If you want to see clearly within yourself, you need serenity. It is impossible to interpret rightly any circumstance of life or even in a dream if we are in affliction. If you take a jar filled with sediment, rocks, dirt, stones, and water, and shake it violently, the contents will be mixed, clouded, obscured. You can't see its contents. The same thing with our mind. If our mind is clouded, obscured, agitated, afflicted, in pain, we have no means to see and comprehend what is going on. 
However, if you let the jar, in our metaphor, sit and rest, the water settles, the sand stratifies, the stones go to the bottom, layers appear, the water clears. That is when you can begin to see yourself. That is when we can learn to see objectively. Dream interpretation, analysis of dreams within meditation begins with equanimity. What we don't want or fight for our preferences. Perhaps we dream something. We may have fear or pride or anxiety that wants the dream to mean something that it isn't. However, to really assess accurately, we need to be calm. We can't follow the whims of our preferences. We need to look at it with equanimity, tranquility, and to be content. To accept what it is. To not assume anything of it, but to look with clear eyes like a scientist at a phenomenon. No theory, no preconception, no a priori assumptions, just observation. Self-observation is the beginning of serenity. It is how we focus our attention within ourselves so that we can see our psychology. So that our mind, our emotions, and our impulses to act no longer cloud our experience. They don't filter like a lens and change a experience into something it is not. In the same way that light can become a specific color depending on our glasses or shades. When you look and calmly introspect, when you don't expect anything but merely watch, you begin to see a lot in yourself. Many elements which will gain Serenity and calm, the less you feed it, but just look, not trying to change anything, but accepting it. This is the beginning of real peace. When the consciousness, the soul, is activated and is looking inside, it is the consciousness that can interpret dreams. Not anger, not pride. Not despair or morbidity or fear. It is the essence, the consciousness that, when it is awake, gains clarity the more that it sees. And the less that it invests its energy into these disparate subjective elements that we call the ego, our desires, our attachments, our prejudices. This is how we learn to concentrate. As you're focusing your attention within yourself throughout the day, but also 
focusing on a candle or any other observation practice, we begin to develop a more profound attention. We've given practices in the past in order to develop serenity of mind, but also our concentration, our ability to focus without being distracted. One example was a candle. You observe the flame and merely watch. Observe it. In the moment, you will observe how thoughts will come within the screen of our attention. Distractions, memories, daydreams, worries, preoccupations, plans, projects. The point is to merely look at that, to observe it and let it go. Return to the candle. Observe it. Be aware that you are observing. And if you get distracted, gently bring your attention back to the candle. See it for what it is. Observe the flame, its hues, its light. Examine its fluctuations. You can even observe its smell. Merely look and attend to the candle without thinking of other things. This is the first skill we learn when we are seeking to meditate. Now, concentration is not enough. Having serenity of mind is merely the beginning. When you're calm of mind, you can focus and sustain your attention on one thing longer and with uninterrupted periods, with discipline and practice. But there's something more that we need to develop. If we wish to access a state of meditation, comprehension, understanding, in which we receive new wisdom about a given thing. In this case, about a dream. In order to meditate on a dream, you need to imagine it. Visualize it. Bring it within your mind's eye. Evoke the dream, the situation, its colors, its hues, the experience within your imagination. Imagination is merely the capacity to perceive non-physical imagery. And it is this faculty which is activated when we dream as we discussed in a previous lecture. Imagination is the faculty of the consciousness to perceive. It is that which allows you to see within dreams. And the more robust your imagination, the more you can see within the astral dimension. So not only concentrating up on a candle, but you can practice, close your eyes, visualize the flame. Imagine the candle and its wax, every detail with as much depth, profundity, and clarity as you can. That skill will allow you to not only perceive your dreams with greater range, within a spectrum of consciousness, but it'll open the doorway to real meditation, which is the capacity to comprehend, to understand. Concentration and imagination 
lead to meditation. Whereby you focus on the memory of a dream, you imagine it, you can focus on a specific detail of what happened. Sustain your attention and imagination of that one thing, that event, maybe a detail, a particular situation, a character, a symbol. And then you wait. Rest your mind. But have your consciousness active. Hold on to that image. And be patient. Suddenly new information will arrive within your consciousness. You may see a new experience. You may witness new things. You may suddenly... Gain a spark. You know the depth of that particular experience. It comes to you. You don't have to think about it. However, calm abiding, the state of serenity, is the foundation by which real insight can emerge. And when that insight hits you, you feel joy, ecstasy. This term in Latin comes from extatuo, which means to stand outside yourself. In this way, you are standing outside the normal range of your perceptions to see something new. And it is that spark of alert novelty and freshness which inspires. That is meditation. That is comprehension. That is awakening. These are the principles by which to really understand a dream. But it's also important to understand, particularly from the meditative traditions from the past, the importance of these two principles, serenity and insight, or concentration, imagination, calm abiding, and special insight. These two qualities are particular skills that the consciousness can develop. And when the consciousness develops both serenity and insight together, we open up the full gamut of our potential. We can really gain profound wisdom about anything and go into the depths of a dream to see its roots its real implications. Tsongkhapa, a great master of Tibetan Buddhism, explained these principles very beautifully in his great treatise on the stages of the path to enlightenment. He explained that neither of these qualities alone is enough to acquire the state or to experience the state of meditation. I'll read it for, I'll read it for you at length. Why is it insufficient to cultivate either serenity or insight alone? If you light an oil lamp for the purpose of viewing a picture in the middle of the night, you will see the depictions very clearly if the lamp is both very bright and undisturbed by wind. If the lamp is not bright, or is bright but flickering in the wind, then you will not see the images clearly. Likewise, when looking for the profound meaning, You will clearly see reality if you have both the wisdom that unerringly discerns the meaning of reality and an unmoving attention that stays as you wish on the object of meditation. However, 
If you do not have wisdom that knows how things are, even if you have a non-discursive concentration in which your mind is stable and does not scatter to other objects, then you lack the eyes which see reality. Hence, it would, will be impossible to know how things are, no matter how much you develop your concentration. And even with a perspective that understands reality, selflessness, if you lack a firm concentration that stays one-pointedly on its object, that it will be impossible to clearly see the meaning of the way things are because you will be disturbed by the winds of uncontrollably fluctuating discursive thought. So a lamp is a perfect metaphor for meditation. If we're thinking too much, it is like wind passing through our mind and the candle flame or the lamp light will flicker. Therefore, we need stability of mind to focus unwaveringly on one thing without being distracted. Likewise, even if there is no wind, if the light is dim, we will not see. The same with our imagination. This is why we practice visualization exercises. Imagine a candle flame. You can visualize a light in your mind, a sun, any image that you want. And when our serenity and our visual, uh, visualization capacities are very strong, the combination opens the door to real wisdom, to understanding reality or the higher realities of the inner dimensions, which are mapped out in this diagram. We use this glyph, the Kabbalah, the tree of life, not only to represent the universe, but also to represent ourselves. Kabbalah is the Jewish mystical tradition. And this tree of life is a map of our psychology and our universe. It maps out the dimensions of our inner being. It also maps out the signs of meditation. We've included only the lower seven spheres of the tree of life, which will be the focus of this segment. These spheres represent qualities in us, aspects of our consciousness, but also dimensionality. These are also places that we visit when we dream. More importantly, these fears represent us, who we are in a given moment, what we are, how, are we, how we function, how we subsist in life, how we meditate. To begin meditation, we first relax the body. We learn to suspend or withdraw our attention, our senses, from our physicality. This is the bottom sphere known as Malkut in Hebrew, which means kingdom. This kingdom is nature. It is our physical world. It is also our human machine, our physical body. It is the vehicle we operate with in the vigil state. To meditate, we first relax the body. We adopt a posture, an asana, whether it's full lotus, half lotus, or western style, 
whatever is most comfortable for us. And we withdraw our attention from the body. We get comfortable. We relax our body. We make whatever necessary adjustments we need in the beginning. And then we forget about it. Let it go. As you're withdrawing your attention, you begin to notice energy. Which is our vital force. Our etheric or energetic vehicle. The chi of our life. The life force in our body. This is known as yesod in Hebrew, which is the foundation. It is the foundation because it is the energies that we use to enter meditation. We may sense, depending on the moment of our day, in which we have more or less energy, depending on our health and our behaviors. Some activities waste energy. Some conserve it. Depends upon our attention, our work, our mindfulness. When we relax our body, we can work with vital energy. We can become aware of any sensations in our energies, our body. We can do a breathing exercise, pranayama. Pranayama means to yoke the energies or winds, the vital forces of our constitution. And by breathing deeply, inhaling through our nostrils, exhaling through our mouth, we can raise the energies of our body to our mind and then to our heart. You can also do this through interchangeable nostril breathing, pranayama proper, in which you circulate vital force so that the body relaxes, the heart relaxes, the mind settles. You can also work with mantra, sacred sounds, vocalizations, so that you charge your body and your energies, you activate your vital force, you circulate it willingly, and activate your consciousness. But then you have to let it go. Let the body settle. Let the energies calm. Let them become clear, radiant, pristine, luminous, peaceful. This energy helps us to develop a serene mind. It helps us settle our heart. This is related to the emotional sphere of our being, or the astral dimension, the world of dreams itself. Hod in Hebrew. Splendor. When our heart settles, when it calms, when we deepen ourselves in prayer, this emotional center becomes very inflamed, inspired with superior qualities like compassion, love, diligence, patience, and joy. We can pray deeply. We can ask for guidance from our inner divinity to help us understand a particular dream that we want to go deep within. And as we're praying, we also look at our mind. Thought. Netzach. In Hebrew, which means victory. We are victorious when we calm the mind. When we look at it, 
We observe its chain of thoughts, its emergence, sustenance, and dissipation, how they fluctuate within the screen of our awareness like a cloud, which eventually disappear as we observe and let them go. Simply watch, observe your thoughts, withdraw your attention from them. Do not invest yourself in memory, preoccupation, plans, projects, fears. Observe and let them go. This is where we get to a fundamental skill known as concentration. This relates to the sphere of Tifereth in Hebrew, which means willpower or beauty. It is willpower in the sense that it is our ability to focus attention on one thing without being distracted. It is our human soul. <clears throat> right? In us, you now it is a seed that can become fully developed and matured. But for that, it has to develop. It has to be activated and worked with. Willpower is very subtle. Not as obvious as thought or emotion or energy or physicality. And yet, we are driven by will all the time. We can even examine our intentions and impulses, our will to attend this lecture, to approach a study of this kind. Willpower is the inclination to do, but it's very subtle and refined. But it is something that we can consciously manage and activate, sustain. As we're learning to concentrate, we also visualize. Imagine what we want to understand. This relates to Geburah, in Hebrew meaning justice, the divine soul. It is our capacity of our consciousness to perceive the divine. It is the translucence or the immediate apprehension of a given thing. We can not only pay attention to something, but we also see it and understand it. That relates to our consciousness. And likewise, when we attend to something and look at it and wait, we will receive knowledge from our inner spirit, which is hesed, mercy in Hebrew, the inner being. That is comprehension. That is wisdom. Our spirit, Atman, our genuine, authentic self, is the origin and the goal of our studies. We want to understand our inner being, the dreams that come as symbols from Him. And when we deeply understand an experience, we are connected with our spirit because that connection is what gives us understanding. But for that, we have to suspend all the lower qualities of our psyche in the same analogy as the jar full of sediment and stone. Let the inferior elements settle to the bottom and the more refined, clear, and pure qualities will rise to the top. The same thing applies to this diagram and to our meditations. So it's important to reflect upon ourselves to understand who we are and who in us is perceiving in a given moment or what in us 
taints or obstructs or clarifies what we see. The essence of analytical meditation is to first comprehend the perceiver. We have to understand and to question ourselves, to look, to see, to investigate. If we possess any elements within our psychology that contaminate our experience, that filter what we see, that do not allow us to see reality. Buddhism beautifully teaches this dynamic. And that to understand anything of value, we have to put aside the self. By this I mean the egotistical self we are commonly affiliated with. Pride, anger, resentment, hatred, lust, laziness, gluttony, etc. We have to put aside the ego. Because our desires, our defects, our vices, our prejudices, do not see reality. When we are angry, we think through anger. We process life through that particular cage. We justify ourselves. We reason. We excuse our wrongdoings. Even though later we may find through suffering that we were wrong. But in those moments, we were perfectly animated and justified by what we saw. We were thinking through a bottle or seeing light through a bottle itself, not seeing the reality. To analyze a dream, we have to put aside ourselves and to learn to access that which is genuine and authentic, the comprehension of the being, our real identity. This is why the Dalai Lama in the book Stages of Meditation, stated, In order to meditate on the special insight that realizes ultimate reality, we need to develop the wisdom that understands selflessness. Before we can do that, we must search for and identify the self that does not exist. When he says we have to search for and identify the self that does not exist, he's talking about our terrestrial self our ego, our defects. Those elements like pride and anger and hatred which don't have a real truth to them. They are not substantial. They are provoked by circumstances and they emerge in relation to specific events. They are not eternally, intrinsically existing in and of themselves, but they depend on other factors. And because they are dependent on other people's praise or job promotion, adulation, or respect from others, these qualities don't have independent existence. They are not real. They are an illusion. And yet, because we grasp to the feeling and identity and self in the moment, we suffer. We don't see the truth. These elements are not permanent. They are not eternal. They are not chesed, the spirit. The spirit is what is real, the divine, 
God, for a lack of other words. But if we don't put aside our own egotistical self, we cannot see our real identity. And therefore, we cannot interpret our dreams. This is why Salman Vior, in his book Sexology, The Basis of Endocrinology and Criminology, enforced or supported the Dalai Lama by saying, Symbols must be analyzed coldly, without superstition, maliciousness, mistrust, pride, vanity, fanaticism, prejudgment, preconceptions, hatred, envy, greed, jealousy, etc. Saying the same thing. If you want to understand ultimate reality, those symbols which come from the ultimate truth within your dreams, you have to be like a surgeon operating on a person to be indifferent, to be cold, to not assume one thing or the other, but to look and to be conscious, attentive, unfiltered. Before we go into some real detail about analyzing specific qualities of dreams or characteristics of a dream, I want to actually provide a bit of a definition because this will help preface the rest of our format for this lecture. We're going to go into a lot of depth <clears throat> asking specific questions about particular parts of a dream. Things that we can ask ourselves when we meditate. Analysis means a detailed examination of anything complex in order to understand its nature or to determine its essential features. A thorough study doing a careful analysis of the problem. A statement of such an examination. A separation of a whole into its component parts. By asking good questions, we can go into real learning about ourselves. We'll get to the essence of what a dream communicates. And what we're going to look at are particular qualities about dreams we can focus on specifically when we meditate. But also presents particular problems that we can analyze deeply. The problems that dreams present, as well as the solutions for how to overcome them. And we'll look at a couple statements that reflect what that examination looks like. And we're going to break down the totality of a dream into its parts. So that by looking at aspects individually, we can look at how they are cumulative and supportive of one another. How everything ties together. In order to demonstrate this, I'm going to provide an example. I had this dream when I was six. I was walking through a park at night. There was a lot of moonlight present. This was a park where I grew up with a lot of trees and a pond. And I remember walking through this park in the moonlight, feeling a sense of haunting and dread because everything was bathed in a profound twilight. I was passing through a playground and I remember feeling that the playground itself being abandoned and alone in a sense reflected something about myself. 
I was very conscious and alert, seeing a lot of color in the hues of the, or the, a lot of intensity in my perceptions. It was very vivid. I walked towards the lake and I came to my mother and a sibling in my family. At this point, I saw myself third person with them. We were like silhouettes in the night sky, holding hands. And we all looked up. I felt my vision was compelled to look up at the horizon, where I saw a powerful, intense, luminous, and deadly moon, full, bright. And then while looking at this moon, I felt a sense of pain. A lot of longing in my heart, but also the feeling of dread that something awful was happening. Suddenly, a silhouette of a wolf soared across the moon, howling silently in the dark. I awoke. This dream, while simple, contains a lot of elements. And I'm going to model for you an example of dream analysis through meditative questioning, meditative comprehension, in order to unpack this experience, but also provide a concrete structure by which you can learn to analyze your own dreams. Now, in this dream, I did not see any numbers. Obviously, dreams relate to the tarot, numerology, and the different cards of this deck relate to principles manifested within dreams. As you see in the right here, we see Arcanum 18, Twilight. A jackal, a white jackal and a black jackal, or you can even say a, a white wolf and a black wolf howling at the moon. So obviously I saw that symbol, which is very deep and very menacing. I'll relate what these all mean and how they connect, but I'll preface this analysis by showing that this arcanum was present in the dream. So, some questions we can ask ourselves can relate to how cognizant we are. What was our level of cognizance in the dream? Were you aware that you were dreaming? This is very important. If you're more conscious in that state, it can indicate that it is more objective. That there, your divinity is trying to show you that there's something more that you need to understand. And therefore your consciousness was expanded in a deep way, in a powerful way, so that you can receive the teaching, the wisdom that you need in that given moment. So in the dream that I provided, I was very awake. I would say I was even more awake than my physical existence. It was that hyper real and intense. How aware were you in the dream? That's the question. What is the lucidity of your experience? Was it profound? Were you aware that you were in the astral world? If you're awake and knowing that you're out of your body, you can have greater confidence in your experiences more often than if you're just drifting through it. 
asleep on autopilot. If you're aware that you're dreaming, you have some type of agency and assurance that you're approaching your inner experiences with greater wisdom and alertness. And oftentimes, those very vivid, lucid dreams are showing us teachings from our inner God that we need to be aware of. How long were you aware you were dreaming? Was it for a moment? Did you suddenly realize you were in the astral world, but then fell into sleep again? You became unconscious? Or was that sustained throughout the night? The more extended your awareness, the more probable it is that you're actually being taught something. Because God is pushing you to wake up and is showing you that you need to pay attention, that you're receiving something valuable, or better said, invaluable, something priceless. How frequently did you dream throughout the, that time? Was it in pockets? Was it sporadically? Was it sustained? Was it often? You may find that you have periods in, in your dream yoga discipline where you're suddenly you're more awake than you usually are. And oftentimes that's an indicator that divinity is trying to teach you something because you have to be awake. And therefore, our inner being exerts super efforts to teach us and to get us to rise to a higher level of being. As you see in this image, William Blake depicted... Jacob's dream of the angels ascending and descending upon a ladder to heaven. As a symbol of how we wake up in our, within the dream state. To go towards the light. To gain light. To understand more. To perceive more. How amplified and penetrative was your dream consciousness? Was there a lot of lucidity? Were you able to see with a lot of detail? Was there more depth to your perceptions? Was there more color? In the example I provided, while it was the playground and the park was bathed in a twilight, still the hues and the colors in that spectrum of light was very intense and detailed. I saw shadows, but I did see a lot of color in that silver-like luminosity. And that gave me a, a feeling of dread. It was very impactful. Also, we should consider how did the quality of your dream fluctuate or change? Did it stay the same? Did it progressively increase? Did you start off unconscious in the beginning and suddenly become vivid and awake that you were dreaming later on? That tendency is very common when divinity teaches us something valuable. We start off being in a somnambulist state, not really aware that we were dreaming, suddenly we begin to realize that we're not in our body. We're receiving a vision. And in this dream when I was six, I felt in the beginning a bit unaware, thinking that it was my physical world or the physical world. But with eventual, as I began to progress into the dream, I realized that this is something different than the physical plane, and impossible, but yet it was more real. Lastly, did the quality of your dream stay the same? Did it become intense? 
Did it change or did it remain constant? Usually when dreams are very constant in their depth and quality, their luminosity, their amplification, their quality of being. And when that state is sustained, as I said, can often indicate that this is objective and that all the details should be apprehended with a lot of detail. We should try to remember everything we dreamed because these are important facts that we need to understand. Any little detail can be significant. For example, like the playground, which I'm going to elaborate upon. So we have to examine the situational factors. What happened in the dream? Who are the characters or people involved? So in my dream, I was walking through a park in the moonlight and I was with my family, my mother and a sibling. And that was very significant. We have to look at the examples of the people or characters or the situation because that is the content that we have to analyze and reflect upon how they relate to ourselves but also what are they representing we should also consider how were you involved in the dream and the drama or dream were you more active in the dream were you a witness did you kind of sit back and let things happen or were you the agent and the hero of the drama in my dream it began began with me walking alone in solitude and loneliness, walking through this dark night under the moonlight. And eventually I became more involved with my family members. Another question to consider is, how were you a witness and or participant of the dream? Because sometimes in our dreams, you may find that you're walking as in first person, like a narrative, seeing and experiencing all these things. But then suddenly you may see yourself outside of yourself. Like in the dream, I was walking in the park at first, but then I saw myself holding hands with my mother and a, and a sibling. So I both was a witness and a participant. And sometimes divinity will shift our point of view in a dream to show us something very significant. And I remember looking at myself holding hands like a silhouette in the night with my family members and feeling that Somehow, there was deep meaning in my relationship there. Also, how did you interact with the dream's constituents? Meaning, how did you basically respond and react to all the different elements of the dream? The people, the place, the environment, the situation. This contributes to the next question, which is, what was the overarching narrative or sub-narratives of the dream? This is very significant because every dream is a story. What was the overarching story? And were there sub-stories to this dream? In my dream, it was me walking in the park at night. But then it became enmeshed with a, another story, which is my family. And somehow the symbol of the moon and the wolf and the twilight and the night all compounded and connected to my relationships with my family members. And therefore the mood of the dream was deeply connected with the people there. 
Sometimes the story is enmeshed in a larger story. Kind of like a Alexander Dumas novel, who was considered the king of plot, in that he'd have many stories within larger stories. Very complex, and dreams can be like that. So it's good to reflect upon what's the overarching theme, what's the narrative, the story, how do we contribute to it, and were there other little narratives or stories within the dream itself. In this case, in my example, was I was deeply afraid and seeking comfort from my family, from the wolf and the moon. In the sense, that was a story that I felt and was thinking to myself in the moment. Lastly, what were the relationships between different dream events? We have to examine every event in the dream. How do they connect? What happened first? What happened second? Was there a chronology present? In my example, I walked to the park first. I was alone. And that set the tone for the dream immediately because it was about loneliness, the moon, sorrow, pain, twilight, uncertainty. And I walked to a park amongst the playground that was abandoned, thinking about how lonely I was at that time. Eventually, I ended up being with my family members, trying to find comfort with them. And therefore, the first event walking alone in the park was connected to me eventually seeking solitude or comfort and solace from my mother and sibling. And that connected with the moon and the wolf because as symbols, they were showing, they were showing me something about the need to understand my relationships and how all of it was connected to these symbols, which we're going to unpack. Another thing to consider is the ambience of a dream. What were the sounds and colors of the dream? Sound and color is significant. Darkness, shades, blackened colors, pale colors can indicate dread, sorrow, pain, fear, dark emotions. Likewise, sound. Are they pleasant sounds or are they fearful sounds? In the dream I had, I was listening to the wind. It was very silent. I could hear my footsteps in the, on the soil. So those contributed to an ambience or emotion of great uncertainty. Also, where did your dream take place and what was its tone and atmosphere? The places we dream are really important. Oftentimes, if we dream about our home, familiar neighborhoods and surroundings, they're representing qualities of mind, qualities of consciousness, aspects of ourselves, because often our identities are very much enmeshed terrestrially in place. We have certain attitudes, habits, and behaviors that we adopt in our physical life in accordance with our environment, the places we go, the school we were educated in the friends and people that we associated with in those spaces. Those often contribute to a sense of tone. And likewise, dreams, when they show us a place, are showing us something psychological in relation to our mood as well. So they all contribute to a ambiance or initial feeling that is like a signifier of the overall impact or emotion of the dream. What it's 
quality is going to determine for us. We should also consider the weather because what was the weather like in your dream? Was it stormy? Was it dark? Was it chaotic? Was it rain? Was it calm? Was it peaceful? We know even in movies and literature that storms and weather often preface or present forebodings, omens, challenges, pain. So the weather and its qualities, whether it's pleasant or it's dark, can signify something important for us in relation to our quality of mind and our heart. What was the overall tone, mood, or quality of the experience? Basically, when you woke up from your dream, how did you feel? How did you feel towards the dream and its elements? That's really important. That tells us whether or not the dream is authentic. If it hits you hard, you know it means something. And therefore, we puzzle and puzzle over what it could mean. So even in this dream that I had when I was young, I felt that it was very important. Even though I had no concept of what dream yoga might entail, but I knew in the experience that this was something very prophetic, impactful, moving. Lastly, how do the characters, entities, or objects of the dream respond in relation to you? Because oftentimes our environment can change in a dream. The characters or entities themselves can change in response to our interactions. And also the mood of the dream can change depending on our behaviors, our responses. Some things to consider too is spiritual and egotistical states. We go back to the human machine. With time and meditation and practice, we begin to recognize the quality of our dreams. Some dreams feel more real, more authentic, more objective. And they reflect qualities of mind that are not egotistical. We referred to the superior and the superior intellectual and superior emotional centers, which are aspects of our human machine that reflect the superior aspects of dreams. Some dreams can be more intellectual. Related to memory, thought, concepts, preoccupations. Some dreams can be more emotional. Some involve a lot of action related to the motor brain, the motor center, as well as our instinct and sexual drives. When we are meditating on our dreams, we have to reflect on that quality, like we're tasting a drink. People who reflect deeply can really begin to discriminate a unique taste to a superior quality or a superior vision, which don't have anything to do with the incoherent, chaotic, conflicting, afflictive, and disturbed states of the ego. We should ask ourselves when we dream or we meditate, which center of the human machine predominates in the dream? How are we dreaming? Which center was manifested? What was the quality of the dream in your psychological states? What egotistical thoughts, emotions, or impulses were expressed? Do we think 
negative, evil thoughts, disturbing emotions, and perform or commit any harmful actions in our dreams? We have to reflect on that. That is signifying what kind of dream it is. Depending on what type of elements were present within our psychology, what was driving us. And likewise, as we reflect more upon the difference between our soul and the ego, we can begin to understand what real visions are. What conscious understandings and sentiments sentiments manifested? Do we understand something deeply in the dream that perhaps escapes our logic? Was there something very deep and intuitive there that we feel, but we don't necessarily intellectually comprehend? That's also a very unique quality of a superior vision. It can indicate something that is objective. We know and sense there's something more there that we may lack the intellectual knowledge to define. Like in my dream when I was young, I knew the dream meant something deep, but I had no idea how to identify it. I just knew that something bad was going to happen based on the mood and the symbols in the dream and the overall impression that it made. Also, what was the overall quality of the dream's logic? Did the dream's narrative make sense? Was there something unifying all the events of the dream in a coherent narrative? Did it make sense? Or was it gibberish? Was it nonsensical? Were there many elements that were just garbled and jarbled together? We have to analyze that. Lastly, what types of actions did the dream inspire within you? Do we feel a longing to explore ourselves, become more profound, to reflect upon the meaning of our life? Because those dreams can inspire us to deeper insights, to push us, to inspire us, even if we don't know what they mean at first. Or do these dreams, or do our dreams perhaps reflect merely chaos? We have to analyze that. Every dream has an intention and an outcome. Every dream reflects a desire to do as well as a particular ending. Any story has a beginning, middle, and end. And so we have to reflect upon what is our intentions in the beginning of the dream but also what is it that we seek or how does it actually turn out? What was the desired outcome of the dream? In my dream, I wanted comfort from my family. I wanted them to protect me from harm. I wanted to be safe. I didn't want to feel threatened and alone. I sought comfort in the twilight to be consoled and comforted by my mother and my sibling but I found that I actually in the dream could not reflect what was the actual outcome what was the result of the dream what was the outcome of your actions or the situation in the dream I know that when I sought comfort by holding hands with my family members I looked up at the moon and the wolf and realized that I could not be protected from that so I felt haunted and afflicted 
How did you feel in relation to the situation or characters? I thought and I felt that I could be comforted and protected, but the reality is that I couldn't. And lastly, what was your mood at the end of the dream and its result? Oftentimes the end of the dream is the most compelling because it stamps or finalizes, concedes to whatever the overall message is, the overall warning, as well as perhaps potential consequences that might play out in our life. This brings us to the very interesting topic of symbols. We talked a lot about the different laws of dream interpretation. We spoke specifically about philosophical analogies, contrary meanings, correspondences, and numerology. We have to look at the symbols of the dream. What was the philosophy or what philosophy is the symbol associated with? The moon as a symbol within religions is a symbol of suffering, moral pain, affliction. It's also associated with the wolf, a wolf in Egyptian mythology or a jackal in Egyptian mythology can relate to Anubis, the law of karma, cause and effect, and that for every action we have a consequence. So after many years of meditating on this dream, I began to see some connections. The moon was suffering and the wolf was karma. And that in my youth, in my adolescence, I would have to suffer. And that while seeking comfort within family members, it would not be attained. But also as a philosophy, those traditions like Egypt or of any religious tradition can teach us deeper background knowledge about what we need to know about ourselves and how the dream is unfolding. It also helped me realize in my dream that I was facing the inevitable. It was something that I could not change. It was eternal, permanent, relating to karma. It was something that was going to happen that could not be avoided. You can also consider what is the contrary meaning or opposite of a symbol. The opposite of the moon is the sun, which is light, life, luminosity, the divine, happiness. What does the symbol correspond with? What is the symbol related to? Obviously, symbols in diverse religious traditions have a lot of depth. This is why we study many traditions throughout the world in our studies, like we see in this graphic. Starting from 12 o'clock, going clockwise, we see symbols of the Baha'i faith, Buddhism, Christianity, Confucianism, Hinduism, Islam, Jainism, Judaism, Native spirituality, Sikhism, Taoism, Unitarian, Universalism, and Zoroastrianism. These are symbols surrounded by the sun, or surrounding the sun, which is a symbol of the divine. Likewise, as we're analyzing and identifying symbols, we should consider what these diverse traditions teach, because these symbols compact a lot of meaning. For example, the symbol of Islam is the moon and the star of Venus. It is by working with love that we transform our suffering 
That is the essence of Islam, the Muslim tradition, in its esoteric sense. Likewise, these symbols teach us about truths that we should understand and dive into so that we can really unpack our dreams. Lastly, what numbers were represented? Numbers are very deep. They encode the sacred arcana of the eternal tarot of alchemy and Kabbalah. We study them so that we can go deep within numerology and numbers in our dreams. Something to consider too is the intersection of dream symbols. We should consider how multiple dream or multiple symbols <clears throat> interact. How do they all connect? Because the way they relate to each other can unveil many deep symbols or deep connections that are very intricate and very significant. What different kinds of symbols were present in the dream? And did multiple symbols interact? If so, how? So I saw the moon and the wolf. Sorrow and karma. They're very intimately related. They actually represent two aspects of the same thing. That by our own actions, we reap the consequences. Also, consider which symbol or symbols predominated and why. Maybe one symbol has greater attention in the dream. Or maybe they both share the same space. But perhaps one of them is more prominent. We should ask why. Because if a symbol is on the forefront or has the most impact in our dream, it probably means that that is going to set the overall tone and has the most significance for us. Like by seeing the moon, obviously I realized that I was going through a lot of pain and suffering, but then the wolf kind of contributed to that, showing that it was karma. How do the dream situation relate to the number, symbol, or dramatization? This dream can relate to our condom 18, twilight, the moon, affliction. So symbols can relate to numbers and situations can play out in relation to those numbers or the symbols of those cards as we're going to elaborate upon. The dramas all relate to the numbers themselves and the particular symbols. Also, how are the numbers both individual and cumulative in the dream? If you dream of a number, maybe many numbers, what do they mean individually but also as arcana? or tarot cards, but also how do they add up together? How do they all contribute and add significance to each other? Because when you examine that, you begin to look at a very deep language. So the arcana of the tarot are symbols and images that teach truths, philosophies, principles, forces in nature, qualities that we need to develop in our soul, but also qualities that we need to overcome. So every card has a bit of a dual significance. There are positive and negative attributes to these cards. Pretty much in all cases, but there are a few cards that have perhaps more of a negative than a positive meaning. Now, when you receive a number in a dream, you have to analyze in relation to the tarot card itself that's present. What does it symbolize? What's represented in the card? What are the problems and challenges associated with the arcanum, that law, that moment in our particular spiritual experience? But also, what are the solutions that it presents? What potential or actual solutions were presented to the problem in the dream? When you get numbers or receive symbols and dreams that relate to these cards, they're showing us what is the reality of our spiritual situation, but also what we need to do to overcome them. 
So the potential solution in my dream with Arcanum 18, Twilight, the moon, was to seek comfort in my family. I thought that they would protect me from the wolf in the sky. And as a symbol, it was showing me that even though I looked for comfort in perhaps family members in my childhood, I still was a, a victim of my own secret enemy. Because Arcanum 18 relates to the secret enemy. Our defects, our egos, our vices. It is our own ego which pulls us from the path, which makes us suffer, which produces karma. What should have happened in the dream in relation to the symbol or sacred arcana? So, in the dream, you may receive a number. Maybe it relates to a particular quality in yourself. Perhaps in Arcana 18, I was experiencing solitude and loneliness, the uncertainty of facing my own self while growing up my own defects, and that in the dream, what should have happened was that I wanted to run away, I didn't want to be there, and that the symbol of the Arcanum itself is teaching that one has to face their own selves. Light versus darkness. A white wolf or jackal and a black wolf or jackal. Good versus evil. What should happen is that we should face ourselves, or in the dream, I should have faced myself, faced the ordeals that were coming. What principles or guidance are implicit within the dreams manifest in numbers? So each card not only presents a problem, but a solution. The solution of Arcanum 18, if you add the numbers together, is 1 plus 8 equals 9. Because in Kabbalah, numerology, you add numbers together to arrive at, at a deeper synthesis. You can even take the numbers individually. 1 is our, the magician, the first card, the one who initiates a spiritual way of being. Arcanum 8 is justice, patience through ordeals, sufferings through hardship. The synthesis of those two, by initiating a spiritual path and waiting patiently for its results, we enter Arcanum 9, the hermit, which is the initiate. Notice that in Arcanum 9, the hermit walks upon a moon, but is guided by the sun. Implicit within Arcanum 18 is that one should use their willpower and face the hardships of life, the ordeals and sufferings of existence in order to become an initiate. That is how we really overcome the uncertainty of twilight, when it is neither day nor night, when we are clouded by our own mind and perhaps don't know the right path. Something to also consider is, how did your dream actions embody the virtues or weaknesses of the sacred arcana? So, were there particular actions in our dream, things that we did, that show us the virtue of that arcana, or perhaps its weakness? Were we a hero, or were we a villain? Perhaps we were both in some moments. And, does the dream inspire ethical or unethical behaviors? Are we impelled or driven to be more spiritual as a result of these dreams? Or do we feel more inclined towards our own negative behaviors? The cards show us many truths, philosophies to think about, which relate to particular circumstances in our existence. They can predict many things for us, but also show us the way out of problems. Which is why we study our own life. Initiation is our own life lived intensely with rectitude and with love. Dreams often show us what is going on in our physical existence. 
we should consider what specific ordeals are you facing now in the physical world? Because a, a vivid dream can show us what we're facing, show us the reality of the situation, show us a deeper dimension and an internal experience, how we think and feel about the, of the truth of those challenges that we may not be willing to face yet. We should also consider who is currently involved in our life, struggles and challenges. Who are the people involved in our life at this moment? Are there people we have a conflict with, that we disagree with, that we have arguments with, fights? Who is involved in our life that is of most immediate importance and impact because our dreams can show us our relationships, but also what we need to do with them? We should analyze the characters in our own life story, who is involved in our saga, so that we can understand what to do. Also, how are other people, agents or actors within your karmic situation? What are people doing in our life that are repeating or producing a problem that we are trying to solve, that we're trying to fix? What are your reactions to individual or collective events? Are there specific scenarios in our life that repeat, that are compounded, that accumulate, that have been going on and on? Or are they just was there an individual moment that we want to better understand? Because our dreams can connect with that. We should analyze what is going on in our life now so that we can understand the connections to our dreams. Because our dreams can be reflecting those dynamics in a deeper way with images and characters and narratives with a story. We should also reflect upon how are we choosing to behave in defined circumstances and why. Oftentimes we may ignore our worst enemy, which is us. How we are choosing to behave in life in certain circumstances. What really motivates us? Why are we doing what we are doing? Unless we're self-observing, we're not going to see that. We're not going to see the connections between our dreams and our own defects. Because our ego is what produces problems. Our defects are what cause pain. So we have to observe that. What different egos have you observed in your daily life? What are you working on now in, in your spiritual work that is of most importance to you? as well as the well-being of your loved ones, your acquaintances, and strangers. What defects have you looked in yourself and have seen that are producing all the tragedies, comedies, and dramas of life? Which defects are causing the most problems for you and why? We have to look at that. If you want to understand dreams more, understand your own life. Look at the connections. Our dreams can be showing us things that are going on internally. I know in, the, in that dream example I provided, when I was very young, I sought comfort in my mother as well as a sibling, very much identified with them and trying to get their attention and support. And yet, those influences were not enough to sustain or go against perhaps a sense of loneliness or pain relating to karmic and karmic situations that came up at that time. So we have to examine all that. What are our defects? What do we need to change? This is how we draw connections between the internal with the external. How do the symbols or dream situations reflect your daily life? How do the symbols represent what is going on physically? In one sense of my dream, my mother was perhaps my divine mother. And holding on to the hand of a sibling was perhaps the spiritual community that I sought. And yet despite looking for those things and seeking comfort, did not receive it because of karma, 
of pain, the moon. So, how do the symbols or dream situations reflect that? How do our dream actions reflect our physical actions? What are we doing in the dream that is being repeated in physical life? Maybe not literally, but symbolically. What mood or sentiments permeate both your dream and waking life? Because the quality of a dream can often reflect the quality of a particular state in our physical existence. The two are connected. And if we're very diligent and vigilant and awake, we can see it. How do your dream states reflect your daily psychological states? Does the dream reflect an emotional quality that you find represented in your life? Meditate on that. Examine the connections. How is a particular moment in your life related to the moon? To repeated sorrows? To pain? How might your dream and its symbols warn you about your behaviors, situations, or other people? Obviously, when you see symbols of people or representations of family members, they often can represent something divine in us. Maybe our divine parents. Maybe the spiritual community. Maybe they're warning us about what we should expect in our physical existence. They also can warn us about how we're behaving and what we are doing in relation to other people that should be reconsidered, that should be meditated upon, that should be rectified. How might the dream present the right course of action in the vigil state? Because sometimes a dream will show us perhaps what we should do, what we can do, and how we should proceed. That relates to our intentions, but also the actual outcome. And lastly, does the dream contradict or align with scriptural, prophetic, ethical, or spiritual conduct? Is there anything that the dream is pushing us to do that may align with or go against the scriptures? What the prophets have lived, their ethics, the conduct that they expect from their disciples. That can often tell us whether the dream is objective or not. And if we're meditating on it and we see that the dream inspires us to better behavior, we can be more assured that it is probably objective. That is inspiring us to be spiritual. Some dreams repeat, as we spoke extensively in a previous lecture, on how to consciously enter dreams. It's important to reflect on which dreams are repeating in ourselves, because if they repeat, often it can mean that there's a problem that we're not fully addressing, and that we should take deep consideration of. So we should ask ourselves, what elements repeat themselves in our dreams? What repeats? How frequently does the dream repeat? More importantly, are there variations among each dream occurrence? So if you dream of the moon, perhaps, are there different types of moons that you see? Are they eclipsed? Are they full? Are they crescent? Are they waxing? Are they waning? That type of dream can indicate variations in our psychology. A full moon can mean pain. But a crescent moon, a waxing moon, or better said a waning moon, where the moon is diminishing in its luminosity, can perhaps show us a bit more of reduction in perhaps egotistical states. And so it's important to reflect upon whether or not this recurring dream, perhaps of seeing the moon, is changing every time we see it. Because that's reflecting back to us how we're changing. 
Also, how do your behaviors change or stay the same in these dreams? Are we just repeating the same thing and suffering more? Or are we getting traction and ground, progress? Perhaps the moon is diminishing or vanishing from the night sky and the astral horizon. Perhaps the sun is replacing it. These are very positive symbols, real progress, real change, and representations of how our quality and level of being is elevating. Do you experience the same or different reactions to each dream? Even if you see the moon again in a dream, do you react the same as you used to? Or perhaps do you feel serenity even in the face of hardship? Or perhaps whatever omen that this prophecy is presenting. That even though something bad might happen in one's daily life, we face it with courage, with indifference. Do you ever experience recurring situations in life that are reflected in your dreams? We should reflect. Again, if a dream is recurring, it probably means that we have a life situation that repeats, especially in relation to our Kanam 10, the wheel of retribution, karma, the wheel of suffering, existence. But also the last question we should think about is why do you have this recurring dream? What is driving it all? Again, if you examine whatever situations in your life repeat, if you meditate on the connections between that and a particular dream, you can gain better understanding about what's driving it all. Where does it come from? What defects are propelling the situation? And when you understand and work upon that defect, it no longer has power over you. It doesn't determine your life. And therefore, those dreams change. So how to proceed? Some people get really paranoid or afraid of dreams that if they have a bad dream that somehow their day is going to turn out bad or something awful is going to happen. We should be indifferent to whatever comes. Do not worry about or identify with the outcome of the dream. Whatever will happen will happen. What's important is that we are indifferent to both victory and defeat. We should also be careful of self-fulfilling prophecies, fatalism, nihilism. You dream of a moon, don't think that, well, everything's going to turn out bad, therefore, let me just give up. Some people get like that. The important thing is, divinity is showing us a symbol, is warning us, not to fill us with despair, but to help, have, help us have courage and to change and rectify the situation. Therefore, we should extract the lessons from our dream and waking experiences because the two are different sides of the same coin. That is your life lessons. They all connect. We should always be learning. Learning from our dreams. Analyzing our dreams. So that we can better inform our actions. Be careful and be sure to identify the connections between the dream and waking life. Without fear, anxiety or desire. Wanting there to be a connection that isn't there. Or feeling fear that or anxiety about what the dream is prophesying for us. We should also understand that, un that both good and bad dreams can be obstacles if we become attached. So having dreams is good, but being identified with dark and morbid and despairing over a dream or being too overly confident are not, are not good reactions. We should just take them for what they are. They are messages. We should apply them as best we can and then move on. Be patient.
Here are some resources to study if you want to go deeper into the practices of meditation, as well as analytical meditation. We have Meditation Essentials and Meditation Without Exertion from Glorian Publishing. These courses go into a lot of detail about how to develop concentration and serenity, as well as imagination, so that we have a very robust consciousness. We also have two courses on our website, one Gnostic Meditation and the other the Sufi Principles of Meditation, which also gives some practices as well that build off each other in sequence to prepare for real deep comprehension. We also included a link to our course on the Eternal Tarot of Alchemy and Kabbalah. I know I touched on a lot of different um, aspects of the Tarot, and it can be confusing for some who are very new to this topic, but I recommend that if you want to go into a lot of detail about what the Tarot cards mean and how to use them, you can study this course. Exercises. Every day, deepen your practices of self-observation and the key of soul. Every day, practice meditative retrospection. Then, pick a fact to investigate further and meditate on that fact. Do not speculate, theorize, or intellectualize. Lastly, record your dream experiences and the facts of your day in your spiritual diary. At this point in time, we're going to open up the floor to questions. Hello. Hi. Um, so I understand that what often needs to be analyzed in a dream sometimes can be pointed out by the dream itself. Waking up, sitting with it, something in the dream happens that gives us a direction in terms of what we need to look into. Um, sometimes um, my experience has been that it's not so clear what it is that needs to be looked into and what method of anal analysis from the dream itself. And uh, sometimes we're in circumstances in our daily life that make it so um, that getting calm to, to do that, uh, to figure that out, or to let that come can be very difficult. You listed a lot of really helpful things and it seems like imperative that you know we have all of them. Would would you feel confident or comfortable in telling maybe a, a kind of a top two that you would can suggest in terms of? I want to analyze this, but I, I'm not. I'm not doing. It's not easy to to figure to figure out how to do it. What's a what's a couple of go tos that you would list as? important and yeah i know that like it really depends on who it is and what the dream is and stuff but just wondering if you if you might say great questions i would say follow your heart in terms of what is your emotional impact from the dream i think perhaps the easiest thing to analyze is your mood in relation to the experience? How did you feel in relation to the dream? What was your reaction to it? How hard did it hit you? What was your emotional state? Because our emotional state will often preface more important things like perhaps the gravity of the situation what actually happened in the dream, it's parts. Now, I know that a lot of the, what I presented covers a lot of ground. 
in that definitely if you're meditating, you don't necessarily just want to make it a checklist and say, I'm going to do follow this step, followed by this, etc. Meditation doesn't work that way. I broke it down in a very explicit and hopefully comprehensive manner because these are things that we can consider. But as you said, some dreams may have more prominent features. Some dreams may not have any numbers in them. Maybe they're just a symbol. Or maybe they're just an interaction with a character or a person. Regardless of whatever elements are in the dream, I think the two most important things to consider are what is your emotional impact? Like how did you feel in the dream and its result? But also what actually happened? I started this analysis by talking about the situational factors because I think that to really go deep into a dream, we have to look at the narrative. Like who was involved? What was there? What were the characters? How are we apart? But also how do we feel in relation to the dream. Obviously, the more impactful dreams are going to have some symbols to them, very deep symbols. They could be related to religion or numerology. But some symbols may not be that obvious. I think that the best way to start is, at least for me, I reflect upon what happened here and how did I feel? Because those together are kind of the baseline. They are the thread that weaves together the whole story. So if you're looking for a beginning, you can start there for something concrete. And then if there's other elements that present themselves in the dream, obviously you can can approach them in that way. But again, meditation is very intuitive. What I was presenting today was hopefully a, a list of guidelines or principles that can be applied depending on our circumstances. But knowing how to discriminate what to focus on, again, is a... Is a difficult thing, like you said. It's, it relies, we have to rely on intuition. Follow your heart. If something is bugging you about the dream, meditate on that. Meditate on your hunch, your uneasiness, your uncertainty, maybe your fear, maybe your longing. Again, that has to relate to ambience, the emotional impact of the dream, your heart. Remember that the astral dimension is the world of the heart. It is the world of superior, but also inferior emotion. So obviously that's going to register the most impact for us, is how we feel. I hope that answers your question. We have a question. With this process of analyzing the dream and learning from it, is the end goal to reach a stage where we are not dreaming at all, or having only positive dreams? It's important to clarify very specifically what we mean by dreams. A dream in a very strict esoteric language often relates to a subjective quality of our perception relating to our ego, our defects. A dream often is a reflection of merely our negative subjective psychological states. I kind of was being a little bit dualistic with my use of the term, but I want to be specific here that a dream often in Gnostic terms is a projection of the mind or defects, an illusion. It's kind of like a projector showing a film on a screen and yet we see the images and contents of the film, which is our mind. 
and the astral dimension is reflecting that experience. So it's not something that is really authentic and real or objective. Now, a vision is something else in which we see reality for what it is when the consciousness is not projecting anything but merely receiving new information. We're seeing what is actually there. And these visions have to do with objective experiences and prophecies, omens or teachings from the divine. Now, the end goal of these studies is to no longer dream, but to be awake. To no longer be seeing what our mind wants, but to see what is actually there. And for that, we have to learn to analyze our dreams. We can analyze our own illusions and how we are egotistical and asleep, not only within dreams, but in waking life. But also we want to learn to be conscious citizens of the cosmos so that when physically we are asleep, we are in the internal dimensions awake, seeing that dimension for what it is without any filter. In that sense, we're no longer dreaming, but we're illuminated. Now, the point of this study is not necessarily just to avoid bad dreams, but to comprehend their roots. Understand why we suffer. These dreams teach us something about, or perhaps better said, visions teach us something about how to live our life. They teach us how to change, how to be initiates, so that we can stop suffering and help other, other people to be upright human beings. We can't do that by only having positive dreams, but facing the darkness, facing our own cages that we have built. And the way that we analyze our dreams is going to open up the understanding of how to change physically, how to live a more ethical lifestyle. So we study and analyze our dreams so that we can have a better impact and knowledge and wisdom of how to live. So it's not just to avoid bad dreams, but I guess in the sense a positive dream would be, or better said, a vision would be having illumination and vividness and awakeness in the dream state. We're no longer asleep there, but we're conscious to be fully awakened. So we have another question. I've heard certain dream yoga teachers recommend telling yourself that you are in a dream even during waking life. What do you think about this? It's true. We gave a whole lecture on this, how to lucid dream. Because in our physical life, we're constantly distracted, inattentive, asleep within ourselves, within our body. We think we are vigilant and awake, but we're not. Evidenced by the fact that when we go to bed at night, our consciousness enters the astral dimension, but without awareness. Because the soul is not trained during the daytime. We are asleep as a soul when we daydream, fantasize, reminisce, get lost in a chain of thought, fantasy. We're not really t paying attention to the moment. If you train yourself in the daytime to be awake and vigilant and learn how to test yourself in the physical world, Perhaps by jumping in the air to see if you float or pulling your finger to see it stretch. Obviously, you don't do this physically. It's impossible but to fly in the physical world. But if you get in the habit of testing yourself, eventually when you go to sleep at night, you do the same test or technique. Pull your finger and suddenly you may find it stretch. You realize that you're in the dream world. Or jump in the air and you find that you float because Physically, you train yourself to do that whenever you come upon something anomalous or strange in your waking life. 
and then you transfer that same questioning skill to your dreams. We give a whole lecture on that. I recommend you study it. How to lucid dream. We talk about that. Any other questions? If there are no other questions, we'll conclude. I thank you all for attending. The next lecture will be in person in Chicago. It'll be the last one in this course, Navigating the Internal Worlds. We'll talk about all the different things that we can do in the astral plane. So now we've gone over many techniques to experience and interpret dreams. When I'll talk about how to actually navigate the internal worlds. So I thank you all for coming. To learn more about the knowledge covered in this lecture, we invite you to study the books available through Glorian Publishing or GnosticTeachings.org. You can also view free online courses, lectures, transcriptions, and articles available at ChicagoGnosis.org. All of this is made possible by the support of listeners like you. Have you benefited from this knowledge? Help others by making a tax-deductible donation at chicagognosis.org. We thank you for listening. We hope that these lectures aid you in developing your complete and divine potential. May all beings be happy. May all beings be joyful. May all beings be in peace.